Christine Kirkpatrick from the Children and Young People's Team at NHS England London. Welcome to today's Ask About Asthma podcast episode on reducing air pollution for children and young people in London. I'm joined today by Shirley Rodriguez and Gary Fuller. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Start with you, Shirley. Hi, um, and thank you for inviting me to, to this podcast. My name is Shirley Rodriguez. I'm Deputy Mayor for Environment and Energy in London. Hey, Gary. And I'm Dr Gary Fuller. I'm an air pollution scientist at Imperial College London, and I'm also one of three UKRI clean air champions. That's lovely. Thank you and welcome. Thank you for talking to us today. Um, Gary, I wonder if I could start with you. Could you just outline for us the evidence on air pollution and children and young people's asthma, please? I think we have overwhelming evidence that air pollution is uh, affecting people's health. And we've known this for the last 70 odd years, certainly since the great 1952 smog. I, I think it would be too much for me to list all, all that we have in this overwhelming evidence. But I'll just emphasise two new things that it is worth considering. The first is uh, a study that we did or were part of uh, in London, spread across several London universities, where we went out and measured the lung function of children in East London for a period of nearly 10 years. And the team went out regularly each term and met loads of school children and got them to blow into machines and give samples and, and so forth. And then what we did was we compared these results to what we know about the air pollution that these children are breathing. And we found very concerningly that the children that were living in the most polluted places in London were growing smaller lungs. And this is a real graphic and sort of physical manifestation of the way that air pollution is uh, affecting children's health. We don't really know entirely what that means for them uh, at that time, but it's very concerning that if you think about elderly members of your family and the ends of their lives and when they've had flu and things like this, if we have a cohort of children today that are growing old and have compromised breathing systems when they're old, are we storing up a big legacy uh, for the future? The second piece of evidence, I think, is comes very recently from the US Health Effects Institute, and they reviewed 353 research papers that span 40 years looking at traffic air pollution. And some, sometimes individual research studies can throw out erroneous results or things that don't quite fit a pattern. So what they did was to look at the patterns that are consistent across them. And one of the firmest findings they have there was on uh, the fact that being close to roads means that it, children have worse and, and more asthma incidents. And also for both children and adults, it produces new cases of asthma. Air pollution does many other things as well, including stroke and shortening our lives. But these results are just really firm pattern across uh, 353 uh, different scientific studies. So overwhelmingly, there's evidence that exposure to traffic air pollution and the exposure of children to traffic air pollution is something that we should be really motivated to lessen and control for our children and for uh, all of our futures. Thank you. Shirley, is there anything you'd like to add from, from London's perspective on that? Well, if you bring that back to, to the London perspective, you know, we know that 
air pollution contributes to the premature deaths of um, around 4,000 Londoners. But, and, you know, as Gary said, lots of long-term health impacts. So particularly for, for older people and, and children as well, you know, things like asthma, we have over half a million Londoners suffering from asthma and vulnerable to the effects of toxic air. Many of those, more than half, I think, live in outer London, which is, you know, a huge area of focus for us at the moment, um, having done a lot of work in central and inner London. So those lifelong uh, illnesses are, are sort of affecting not only their particular lives and their families' lives and their friends, but also impacting on the health service, you know, costing the NHS billions. You know, the, the, the sort of combined cost, I think, for, for health and social care is, is about 10 billion. But it also costs the economy um, because people are taking time off work because they're not well. So we know that tackling air pollution is really going to, to help uh, everybody from, you know, from, from the very personal through to, to the more systemic impacts as well. If I may come in there, I, I think, mm. Shirley, you're, you're exactly right in mapping that. We often present air pollution as a problem and a problem that's very difficult to solve. But conversely, the other side of that is to present air pollution as an opportunity mm -hmm. and the gains that our society could achieve if we could solve this problem. So I think you're exactly right there. Yeah, and the solutions are, are all things that bring lots of other benefits. So, you know, the things that Sadiq, the Calm the Mayor of London is, is advocating, for example, our environment strategy and transport strategy and, and so on, is, is really things like getting people out of their car. So really only supporting um, essential car use. And we know that people need to use their cars, but we want to make sure that those vehicles are used less. And if they are used, they're cleaner. And we really want people walking and cycling using public transport and, you know, people walked and cycled or did more active travel, you know, at least 20 minutes a day. We know that has huge benefits to to people's health, you know, reducing obesity, which we know is a big issue for, for young people, you know, and help reducing the um, potential for other illnesses as well. Did you want to talk a little bit about the progress that's been made already in uh, in London, Shirley? Yeah, so the mayor was elected in 2016 and he made um, tackling air pollution a huge priority. And, you know, we kicked off a number of policies that, that we've um, been uh, implementing. So primarily, you know, people may have heard of the ultra low emission zone, which is a zone in central London. It started out in central London initially in 2019, which charges non-compliant vehicles. So vehicles that um, don't meet certain standards, so um, Eurostandard 6 and uh, Eurostandard 4 for petrol vehicles. And if you don't, you know, if you don't comply with those standards, then you have to pay a charge um, to drive into that zone. And that's had a huge impact um, in reducing air pollution. So particularly in that central zone, it's reduced pollution from um, transport uh, sources, roadside uh, transport emissions of NOx have reduced, I think, about near, near enough 44%, which is a huge drop in a very short space of time and we've just expanded last year the the zone out to inner London so to the north and south circular as people know know London and again we've just published a report um, which has just showed that in that inner zone that extended zone um, air pollution has dropped by 20 percent and we've still got lots more calculations on other sources of pollution and carbon emissions because it has impacts on that which obviously means you can help tackle climate change. But the, these are very, very fast and radical results. And I think also just 
just to say that this isn't the only policy. It's a very big policy, very signature policy for, for London, for the mayor. But, you know, we've also been doing things like cleaning up our buses or um, putting in more cycle lanes and school streets and, you know, uh, encouraging heavy goods vehicles also to, you know, to 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 reduce their, their pollution as well. So all of these things in combination has really brought down air pollution in London. You know, when, when Sadiq, um, you know, get, was elected, there were about something in the order of 450 schools located in areas of pollution uh, and exceeding the legal limits of, of NO2 pollution um, and there are about 450 then and that's reduced to, to, to about just over 15 to 20 so a huge reduction you know near, near enough 95 96% so that shows that a sort of a concerted effort and you know some really bold action can really make a very dramatic difference to, to pollution but then consequently um, on the health impacts as well for, for people. Gary, do you know if we've seen any of these health impacts so far? Yeah, studies are actually underway looking at the health of school children in London and uh, we're comparing those to uh, children outside the ultra low e emission zones to see if we can see a difference. But I mean, the first step in doing this is to say, well, is it actually changing the air pollution before we then look and see whether it's changing the health of the kids? And the results have actually been quite dramatic. It's difficult to think in the 30 odd years that I've been dealing with air pollution where I've seen a faster uh, and more dramatic increase than what we've seen, certainly from the central London ULES when that was first rolled out. I mean, Shirley talked about 44% reductions in nitrogen dioxide alongside roads. And I, I can't think of another policy that's achieved something similar so quickly. And that's going to make a real difference, not just for children at school, but for so many people that live alongside busy roads. And we mustn't forget there's a lot of people that just live just a few metres back from the, the curb of, of roads. And it's really pleasing that when we try to take the central London policy and roll it out to the next zone to inner London, we're seeing good results there as well. And this includes places where many millions of people uh, live. I think around 3.8 million people mm -hmm. live in the inner London ULES. So I think it's a great success story for London. And it's one that I mean, we, we sit here in this sort of bubble of London politics, but it's one that the eyes of the world are, are looking at uh, as an example of what is achievable. And Shirley said earlier about the number of people living in outer London, and I think it's, you know, we, we often focus on the most polluted areas as the areas for action. And Shirley's exactly right. We mustn't forget people who are living in outer London. And there, there's a lot of people who are quite vulnerable. There's quite an elderly population in outer London, as well as a lot of uh, families as well. So time will tell. For instance, uh, the studies, as I say, that we're doing at the moment are looking again at children's lung growth and see how children's lungs are responding to the air pollution that they breathe. But it takes time to see these things in the health of children. And so uh, we hope to have results in, you know, a few seasons time when we've gone back into school several times to see whether it is actually making a difference. But in terms of the concentrations that people are exposed to as they walk up and down the roads of London, then, yeah, that that is really obvious and is already manifesting itself.
Um, so, Shirley, you mentioned school streets earlier. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and some perhaps other solutions that there might be for children reducing air pollution for children in London? Yeah, well, we, we, we've been doing a lot, actually, but if um, particularly on school streets, you know, this is where if people don't know, it's roads around schools um, are close to traffic during drop off and pick up times. And the idea is so that um, children and their carers and staff are able to walk or cycle to school uh, in a way that is uh, easier, safer, but also reduces their exposure to air pollution, but also, um, you know, road danger. Um, and since about 2020, we've been ramping up the efforts in, in London. So we've got more than 500 school streets now across London, and they really are helping um, to reduce um, the numbers of parents driving their kids to school. Um, so Transport for London has done some analysis on this. And, you know, we're seeing now that walking is the main way that um, children, um, you know, under 11, you know, between five and 11 are getting to school, which is absolutely fantastic. As, you know, as I said earlier, you know, it helps with a number of other issues too. Um, and, you know, we know that by, you know, discouraging vehicles, um, to to do that morning drop off, then um, it is going cutting Nutch and Darkside in in you know in those streets as well very significantly um, sort of up to around twenty three percent maybe so yeah so it's a huge a huge policy tool and it's often one that's advocated by the children themselves so it gets lots of letters in from children saying what are you doing about air quality we'd like a school street can you help us with that what more can you help us with and I'm sure we'll talk about the other solutions and things that we're working with schools on. But that's one thing that they and uh, the schools can actually get on uh, and do, um, you know, with their local authorities. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Shirley. I, I went along to my local school uh, about a year or so ago, local primary school, when they put in a school street for the mm -hmm. first time. And, and I saw this in action. Uh, so what happened is all the kids were arriving to school and they were then they were all squeezed against the pavements and behind those fences that you get outside the school gates. The barriers were put across and the street was closed and it was though like a sigh of relief was breathed by the parents and their kids and they flowed out onto uh, the street. Children could talk and play with each other. Parents could talk with each other and it really like reallocated the space. So the, you know, rather than most of the space outside the school, being devoted to traffic. It was a place almost like an extension of the play playground. It was mm. really joyful uh, to see. So if you like, it's taking the road outside of school, which is largely a problem in terms of air pollution and in terms of space, and turning it into an asset for the school, a place that becomes a social place for the parents and a place where the kids can spread out and be free. And Shirley's exactly right in terms of the co-benefits as well. If we can get children and walking to school and children and their families walking to school, it can do so much for their daily exercise and the issues of obesity that prevail really throughout the age groups uh, of people in London. And in terms of air pollution, if we can effectively move the traffic a little bit further away from schools, it can reduce the exposure of children, um, you know, when when they're at school. And I think it's a great idea. Should we go further with these? And I mean, Shirley, you talk about 500. It would be great to go further. I mean, these started in the Italian town of Bolsano and uh, there they have school streets outside 
pretty much all of the schools so that everyone in the town knows that at those school drop off and pick up times it's just simply normal that roads around a school would be uh, closed off and it encourages everybody to walk cycle and take those routes to school so I think it would be great if we can really expand uh, this ambition is it also should we think about closing some of the larger roads around schools as well to actually you know really make a difference to the exposure of children when they are at school and you know when they're when they're traveling to it yeah well uh, we've seen already that um you know with that increase um to, to 500 we've seen many other boroughs now saying they want all of their schools to be covered by school street so um you know we're, we're providing support in in you know um for example technical advice you know for schools for example we've got a schools pollution help desk which we launched last year which is provided by a global action plan for us and they provide free information and support to schools to to work out what they might be able to do at their at their school but also what they might be able to do in talking to their local authority about you know we want a school street how can you help and and so on so there's definitely support for that and and definitely i think a, a growing movement i think in terms of sort of do we go wider again many of those roads are actually local authority roads you know the, the, the mayor in london certainly only controls some of the the very strategic roads so it'd be a bit difficult to close those off i think because they're arterial routes you know you know made to carry the, the sort of traffic through um, there's definitely a movement and it's growing and you know that's partly because people are demanding it you know because they can see the impact it has both you know both you know on the social nature of you know going to school but also on air pollution and being able to breathe more easily and now we have lots of these breathe london monitors that the the mayor has been supporting you know working with colleagues uh, at imperial like gary um so that people can sort of monitor air pollution and think this isn't right I can see the spikes in the morning and afternoon at the school what can we do about it we want a school street it's a great advocacy um lobbying tool mm. I, I think you're right there. I mean, the Breathe London sensors are helping people, I suppose, see air pollution. And I think one of the criticisms often comes is that we it's hard to see the air pollution around us. If we could see people got ill from air pollution, let's say they were covered in green spots, or you could see yeah. air pollution almost as smoke or, or haze around us, then that might help people not only avoid the more polluted areas, but it might motivate greater action or people to think about perhaps their own role they play in this and for local government also to think how they can lessen it uh, as well. So I think there's so many benefits in addition to the air pollution ones we can have by, if you like, reimagining our cities. And yeah. Loads of people say, you know, isn't this just 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 not possible? And you talk about solutions like 20 minute uh, neighbourhoods where everyone can if all the services and things you need to do on a regular basis are within a 20 minute walking or, or cycling or perhaps mm. public transport and people say you know that's just impossible how can we achieve that but if you look at london and you look at the towns and cities that most of us live in they were created before the streets were laid out before we had motorized transport so that is in many ways the way our cities are designed and it shouldn't be a difficult leap of imagination or practicality to actually go back to a less vehicle dependent uh cityscape i suppose mm -hmm. yeah 
Is there anything else that um, schools can do to uh, to improve their their levels of air pollution sort of in and around them? Shirley, if I come to you first. Um, I think, you know, the main one is, is sort of getting there. Um, I think if you're um, in in the school, you know, what we've um, we've provided and, and, you know, it's on our website is, is a link to some of the work we did, which was these air quality audits. Um, so we, we offered these to, to the sort of 50 schools um, that were in the most uh, worst polluted areas and, you know, at the time that the, the, the mayor came into office and that gave the schools an idea of how they might do simple things, whether it was screening or advocating for things like school streets, or actually some of it was thinking about uh, reorienting the use of some of the buildings or the playgrounds of the playground, you know, if they were able to um, shift where they where the kids played or, or were studying. Now, not all of this can be done, you know, there were very simple measures, but then there are some more complicated measures which needed to be fundraised um, or, as I said, you know, lobbying, um, you know, their local authority um, or beyond. So if people are interested, have a look at on, on our website because it's, a, you know, we've done a, a sort of template of um, the sort of checklist, I guess, of the things that people can have a look at. So um, that's available as a resource. And, and as I said, the school's pollution help desk is another opportunity free. So, you know, just give them a call and they're really happy to, to give you advice and help and point you to, to resources and, and information that, that can help you develop sort of clean air action plans, which is, you know, really, really critical. And then, yeah, um, have a look at the Breathe London uh, if you're in London, the, the, that monitoring website, because there, there's likely to be one close to you, because on top of the sort of the, 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 the what we call the reference monitoring network, these are across London 300 plus. There's some community ones that will be offering out that I think people can apply for shortly. You know, they've been instrumental, for example, you know, in, in coming up with some of the school streets because people sort of seen the pollution and, you know, about 20 of those school streets came came out of that. Um, they've been useful. Um, for you know, identifying a source of pollution that people didn't know about, and were able to go to the source and say, "Hey, did you know you're pumping out lots of noxious fumes? Uh, can you do something about it?" So um, that's another opportunity as well to to do um, to to look at air quality. And then there's more general things. You know, the the, the mayor offers greening programs. You know, where we can sort of do some tree planting and um, you know greening programs for schools that are really about you know the more general environment as 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 Gary was talking about you know which sort of sits alongside the local planning policy of the local authority or the you know the more strategic planning policy the mayor has which is precisely that how do you make sure that developments are located near transport hubs so that we can really minimize the need for people to use the car where they don't need to and then obviously we want to make sure those cars are cleaner. Anything further from you Gary on that? Yeah, I mean, Shirley, you you were talking about loads of practical things that schools can do. And I think, yeah, there's, there's huge scope in this. One of the things I've really liked uh, that I've come across recently is asthma friendly schools. So for a lot of the time, you know, our asthmatic children are in, in the care of um, in their schools. And we need to make that environment as asthma friendly as possible, as well as inclusive for, you know, all of the kids. And thinking as you were saying there about the way in which playground space is used or school buildings are used is a really simple thing that some schools can do. Uh, there's some other really good tips as well thinking about you know outdoor exercise and 
this summer we've had some really big heat waves and just by stopping you know moving school sports into the mornings we can help children avoid uh, exposure during the really most polluted parts of uh, the day so integrating air pollution or at least an awareness of air pollution in just to the everyday function of a school could help our asthmatic children so much I think. That's great. Thank you so much. I'm going to bring today's episode to a close now. It's been some really interesting content from both of you. Thank you both. And thank you to, to the listeners. And please do visit the Ask About Asthma webpage for more podcast content and to view the full schedule for the week. Thank you and goodbye.